I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4, from the ESV translation. So if you have a slightly different translation, it might have slightly different words. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Thank 
you, Shirley. That uh, mind melt, that's actually in the original Greek. It's a, very, it's a very subtle syntax. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of being together. Lord, as we consider uh, these words, your word, would you open our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? Um, guide us, help us in such a way that we might encounter you um, beyond just words or ideas, but as your children. Would you help us? Would you change us? That we might all leave here having come closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter four is where we've just read from this morning. I've been looking forward to this particular encounter, uh, well, for a while. They're all good. They're all my favorite. Um, but some of them are just, now this, this resonates with me personally. Um, it's a different kind of encounter. As we make our way through the book of John, you will notice, you may have noticed, that it's, it's meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, in fact, there's just as much an emphasis on Jesus' interaction, personal encounters with people, as there are uh, his teachings themselves. Um, you may notice, in fact, that in the book of John, the gospel according to John, we don't actually find any of Jesus' parables. The gospel writer, John, didn't record a single one of Jesus' parables in this particular gospel, which is interesting. But he really zooms in on the encounters that Jesus has with people. And one could argue that the parables are there, but they're, they're enacted, they're, they're embedded within uh, these, these interactions, these relationships that are recorded for us. But this is a different kind of encounter. Uh, two weeks ago, one chapter ago, we read about Jesus' uh, meeting at night with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. A Pharisee, they, they were a, a teacher of the law, sort of the, the spiritual elite of their time. And there was one Pharisee in particular named Nicodemus, who apparently was, um, had positive feelings towards Jesus. He was curious. Um, he did not deny that Jesus was some kind of teacher, a prophet from God. He witnessed the miracles, and he said, we, we believe you are, in fact, from God. Nicodemus said to Jesus as they met, we know that you are from God. For no one could do the signs that we've seen you do if he wasn't from God. And Jesus, of course, responded to him. And I think he was gracious towards Nicodemus, but some things were said that I think certainly would have challenged this teacher of the law, to be sure. This is a different kind of encounter. Jesus is now interacting with a Samaritan woman. As we've just read, the Jews and the Samaritans were not friendly with each other. And there was all sorts of, a lot of background to that. The Samaritans would have been sort of an offshoot of the Jewish people. At some point, 
um, the Jews sort of uh, intermarried with some of the, the neighboring nations and they, uh, because of that, their traditions, their culture, even religious teachings began to sort of get mixed up with some of the, the ways in which their neighboring nations understood who God was and it got complicated. And for a whole variety of reasons, the Jews decided we don't talk to Samaritans. They're unclean. Kind of lame. Um, but that's, that's the way it went down in the first century. And so Jesus is now interacting with this Samaritan woman who apparently was a little shocked, a little surprised, perhaps pleasantly surprised that this Jewish rabbi was actually paying attention to her. And so we see Jesus now interacting with a different person in a different way. And I'm wanting to emphasize this because as we continue through the book of John, um, you're going to see different aspects of the gospel, different aspects of the character of Jesus, the character of God revealed in Jesus, sort of come out in different ways. Sometimes Jesus is gonna be quite um, confrontational, and he's gonna have some hard things to say to certain people, and other times he's gonna be very, very gentle, very patient, and, and those who the rest of culture, society, would have normally have written off or seen as unapproachable, unvaluable, Jesus is going to approach and interact with with so much grace and compassion. And it's important that we were aware of this as we, we continue on because sometimes um, you might be sitting in a, a church service like this, like we do every Sunday, and uh, you'll want to hear more about, well, tell, tell me more about how Jesus challenged Nicodemus. Let, let's hear more about that part of God's character. I, I liked it when he was like whipping uh, people out of the temple and flipping tables, and, I, and I, li- I like that Jesus. Or you might be on the other side of the aisle, and you go, I, I like it when Jesus is really, really nice, and it's just, just so, so patient and kind, and, and that's, I, I want to hear more about that, and you can find yourself experiencing a little bit of spiritual whiplash. If you're not aware that, no, actually Jesus is he's interacting with individuals and he's meeting them right where they're at and at times he's, he's quite confrontational and other times he's so incredibly gentle. Now that's not to say he, that he's like um, can't make up his mind or he's fickle or inconsistent. It just means that everyone's a bit different and Jesus is meeting individuals right where they're at. And sometimes you're going to hear a sermon or we're going to read a passage you're going to be like, ooh, I don't, I don't, no, 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 I liked I like the sermon from two weeks ago. I don't, I don't want to, but we need to hear all of it. We need to process through all of these things. So this is a different kind of encounter. Um, so this is the woman, the Samaritan woman, that was all by herself getting water at Jacob's well during the sixth hour. That would have been high noon. Something was, is wrong with that picture. Normally, the ladies in any village 
they would have all gone together to the well in the morning. And it would have been a whole social um, occasion, and they would have gotten the water together, and that's, that's the way they would have done it. So the fact that this woman was by herself during high noon tells you she's some kind of a social outcast. Clearly not super popular with the ladies in town. So she had to go all by herself in the middle of the day, under the heat of high noon. So we know that this person had been rejected by her peers, was some sort of a social outcast. Now the way Jesus interacts with her is quite telling. He asks her for some water. He doesn't come with, hey, do you have any idea who you're talking to? Are you aware in whom's presence you're in of today? <laughs> he, he doesn't announce himself. He, he doesn't come with pretense. He doesn't look down. I would argue that he actually comes down. He humbles himself and he meets this woman right where she's at. It's beautiful. It's a picture of God's unfathomable humility in Christ. He says, Will you serve me? You have something that I, he makes himself vulnerable. Can you serve me some water? Dehydrated, I have nothing to get water with. I need help from you, which says all sorts of things about how we're to interact with the people around us, particularly when we're doing mission or ministry. You have something that I need. Will you help me gives the woman dignity now the way she responds is something else she says why are you talking to me what are you talking to me for you i i your people have nothing to do with my people why are you talking to me it's a bit antagonistic it reads a little rude in my opinion I, I get the feeling that this woman was preempting rejection. She knew that Rabbi, the Jewish Rabbi Jesus, shouldn't have been talking to her. She's a little surprised that he is. Perhaps he's just that desperate. But she assumes that there must be some sort of a, of a prejudice at work in his heart against her. And so she, she's rude. She rejects him. She's antagonistic as Jesus attempts to engage with her. Again, it tells us about what is happening in the heart of this person. How hurt is she? How many times has this woman been rejected that she would act this way? And Jesus remains engaged. He doesn't react. He doesn't get bent out of shape. He stays calm. He's non-anxious. How would you have uh, responded or reacted in the situation? Trying to be kind. Trying to humble yourself. Have some sort of an interaction with this person. And their response is rude, insecure, reactionary, defensive, 
whatever. I personally would have been tempted to be like, oh, you know, fine. Yeah, I, oh, you're right. Yeah, I won't talk to you. Forget you. Rude, much? And that's typically how I think we react. We're trying to be gracious. We're trying to engage with someone. They're rude. They preempt rejection because they're broken and they're hurt. And this is how, this is how us humans operate. And usually, anxiety levels spike and we just begin to react. Jesus remains engaged. He doesn't react. He says, <laughs> he offers her a gift. He said, if you, knew who, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was talking to you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Um, this living water. What is that? In John chapter 7, just a few chapters later, we're told that um, at the Feast of Booths, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, the great day, and he makes this big announcement. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let me read it. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his or her heart will flow rivers of living water. And then we're told after that that he spoke of the Spirit. This living water actually refers to the Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified, i.e. he had not yet died on the cross to come back from dead and ascend into heaven. After which time he would pour out his Spirit. So this living water metaphor, it has something to do with the Spirit of God being poured out. Um, And it's actually, it's something that you see alluded to in the Old Testament a number of times, probably most um, clearly Ezekiel 37. The prophet Ezekiel, this is Old Testament, is having this vision and he's looking at the temple in Jerusalem and he sees water flowing out of the temple, which is where the presence of God would have been, flowing out of the temple to the east. Now, to the east, you remember what the east represents? All the way back in the book of Genesis, we're told when the man and the woman rebelled against God and their relationship with their creator was severed, they were actually ejected from the garden and they were sent east out of the garden. So now Ezekiel's having this vision and he's seeing water flowing out of the temple to the east. So the place that was once dead is now being watered and new life is beginning to spring up everywhere this water is flowing. Exodus chapter 17. The children of God, Israel, they're out in the desert. They're, uh, they're dying from dehydration. They're looking for water. And we're told that Moses commanded, God commanded Moses to strike the rock with his staff, and out of the rock flowed water. So there's all these pictures of thirsty people being 
given water. And this is the picture. You would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. The woman responds. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw your water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is such a good question. Okay, I don't know what this living water is you're talking about. You don't have a ladle or a bucket. I don't know where you're going to get this water. The well is super deep. Are you telling me that you're greater than our forefathers? Are you greater than the patriarch Jacob who gave us this well? Are you greater than our tradition? Are you greater than our religion? Are you greater than our culture? Are you saying that you're greater than the water or the well that I've been coming to all of my life? Are you saying that you're greater? This is the question that we should all be asking Jesus. Jesus, are you saying that you're greater than the well that I've been going to my whole life? This is the question we must ask. This is the question really we're all asking. Jesus comes and offers us living water. We're all thirsty. We're all thirsty. We're all looking for something. We all have wells that we've dug. Maybe we've inherited them. Maybe we've found them. Maybe we dug them them ourselves. We're all looking for water to quench our thirst. And then Jesus comes along and says, you know, I can give you water that will never run out. Are you saying you're greater than my well? That's the question. Are you greater than what I currently have going on? Are you saying that you can quench my thirst better than this other thing that I have? Are you guys with me? You guys get get like the weight of the question. Is this not just the question we should all be asking ourselves? Because we, all, we, we build these lives and we, we, we manufacture these identities and we find things that we, we gain fulfillment from. We're all looking for satisfaction in life. And it usually has something to do with money and health and security and social standing and religion or spirituality or whatever it is you have going on. And it's probably in some way connected to your upbringing. Either you embraced it or rejected it, but it's informing the way you're perceiving life. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you know, I have something better. And it's, it's really quite, I mean, the audacity of Jesus to say, if you had known the gift of God, you would have asked me and I would have given you something better. Because in essence, when Jesus answers the question, are you greater? He says, yes, yes, I am. I'm way better. Totally better. Whatever you have going on, I'm greater than that. What do you have going on that's currently competing with Jesus and the water he offers all of us? This living water for our souls. For some of us, it's it's religion, and I don't mean religion in like the positive sense, I mean in the pejorative sense, like just my traditions, the religion I inherited. It could be Christianity, it could be a hundred different other things. It's the thing that I'm mastering. 
the knowledge that I'm collecting and the more I get better at it, the more I perfect my spiritual moralism, the more knowledge I amass, the more secure, the, more, the, the better I feel about myself. You can build a whole identity around that. Or maybe you're like, I've never really been into religion, been there, done that, tried it, didn't work out, so I, I've moved on. And I have another well, I've been drawing from another place. I've built my identity around something else. I've been gaining satisfaction from this thing. Is it better than Jesus? Now you might say yes, to which I would say, all right, well, good luck with that. I would challenge you, and this is the audacity of it. Jesus is essentially saying, like, I am better. This is not like to each his own. Like, you know, you find satisfaction this way, I find it in another, you know, it's whatever floats your boat. Just like, no, I'm better. I'm better. I'm better than your tradition. I'm better than your religion. I'm better than your porn. I'm better than your drugs. I'm better than that relationship. I'm better than that, that, that trauma that you've, you've, you've built an identity out of. I am better than that thing that you've constructed an identity around. I am better. I am greater than that thing. It's kind of bold. Now, who am I to say that Jesus is better? I would say, I would say, from my personal experience, Jesus is so better, so better. I've tried a few things in life. The things that I just quickly listed, pretty much tried all those things, a lot. And I'm telling you, Jesus is better. He has a deeper well from which to draw. The satisfaction that he offers is more lasting. It's not shallow, it's not temporal. It's what we're truly longing for. Are you greater? Yes, I am. Verse 15, then give me this water. Then sign me up. I'd love some, please. What a great response. She's like, okay, fine, fine. If you're greater, then I'll take some, please. I love that. Okay, fine, then prove it. If you're greater, go ahead. Give, give, me, give me what you've got. now. Here's where it gets super interesting. She responds positively. She says, all right, fine. You're greater? Then I'll take some, please. And then Jesus says, go, call your husband and bring him here. This is this classic Jesus. This is so Jesus. Yes, please, I'd like this living water. It sounds fantastic, okay. And then he takes a deep dive into your soul. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were talking about water. (laughs) And now you're asking me about my husband? Hmm. What exactly is Jesus offering her? She wanted water. And Jesus says, okay. Let's talk about your brokenness. Go get your husband. I'm not married. I know. I know. You've been with a lot of men. You've been hurt many, many times. You know betrayal. You know abuse. 
You know what it means to give your heart to another person only to have it exploited, used, and forgotten. I know. Do you understand what I'm offering you? Do you understand that what you're really looking for is much deeper than what you even realize? Of course, we're all looking for water. We all want to stay alive. Nothing worse than getting dehydrated. But I'm offering you something more. My well is truly deeper than you can understand. And this can be frustrating. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, this moment for yourself. You think you're signing up for one thing. Yes, Jesus. Praise, praise the Lord. Come, Lord, just fill me. You know, something like this. We might sing a song. You might say a prayer. And then the next thing you, you know, God is like getting all up in your personal soul business asking the hard, uncomfortable questions and messing with like your identity and all this stuff. And you're like, whoa, 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 like I just wanted some water. I didn't invite you into my soul asking me personal questions about my past and my brokenness. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows what we're truly looking for. It could be frustrating because we're like, we don't know, like, this, this doesn't seem like what I signed up for. And we never truly know what we're signing up for when it comes to Jesus, but he knows. Go call your husband. Notice how she responds. She says, go call your husband, and she's like, she, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And she sort of makes this, this little like sidestep move and wants to, it seems like she's trying to draw Jesus into this debate about like the details of religion. Jesus is like, go call your husband. Let's deal with like the, the deep root of your brokenness. And she wants to have this little like argument about, well, you Jews say this and us Samaritans say another. And, and you can, it would have been tempting at that point to like, well, look, actually, you Samaritans are tripping, and it's always been on this mountain, and you guys did this thing in the past, and let me tell you a thing or two about how religion actually works, and the next thing you know, they're debating about how old the world is. It's like, really? That's what we're going to argue about now? Go call your husband. Because in fact, it's not really about this mountain or that one. It's not about religion even. I've come here to tell you that our Father has been seeking you. He knows you. He sees you. He understands what you're deeply thirsty for. And I'm here to tell you, the invitation stands, come home. Come and experience the God who sees, who knows, who invites his lost children home. He desires that you worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't promise her 
a new and better man to marry. He doesn't say, you know, I see your brokenness. You're an outcast in your own village. Not even the other women will talk to you. They're all too uh, bigoted, hurt themselves. The whole thing's just a mess. You've been rejected by your own. Now you're, you're alone. You're thirsty. I'm offering you something better, greater, a deeper well from, with, from which to draw. And one might think that at this stage in the conversation, Jesus say, you know what you really need is a man who can treat you right. That's what you really need. Just hang tight. I have 12 disciples coming back. <clears throat> one of them is questionable, but I, there's a couple that I, I would vouch for. And that's what you really need. Or conversely, yeah, you know what you're, you're, the real problem is, is man, these men. These men, that's, that's the real problem. We need, we need to tear down the, the patriarchy and somehow like figure out what, where, where it's all gone wrong and, and it's, it's a gender thing. And, and it would be easy or obvious or superficial, I would argue, to, to sort of go there and address that. What you really need is, is, is a better man, one who will treat you right. But he doesn't do that. What he says is, what you really need is a God who's worthy to worship. That's what I've come to give you. You want living water, you want to experience true and lasting satisfaction for your soul. The answer isn't another man, perhaps a better man. The answer is a God to worship. The only being in the universe who you truly can trust your deepest desires and affections to. The only one truly worthy of being worshiped is looking for you. And if you want to experience the satisfaction you and we're all truly longing for, come and worship the one who created you. Isn't that interesting how Jesus, he, he takes, he begins with the brokenness due to human relationships and shifts her attention now over to worship. This is the solution. This is your next move. Not just to simply go get another relationship. Is this not relevant? Or, I mean, in our world, we're always thinking, man, if I could just find, like, the perfect mate, the new, better, more faithful human that I can attach myself to and find satisfaction in. Now, if you're lucky, you'll end up marrying a wonderful person like I did, my wife is so amazing and lovely and like, don't even get me started. And I'm so, so grateful. And consistently, God will move and speak and, and do awesome things through her and in our relationship. But as soon as I make my wife the object of my worship, which is, by the way, what we call idolatry, not only do I experience an unfulfillment, a letdown, but I kill the relationship itself because no human relationship can bear up under the weight of the kind of relationship and expectation that only God himself is able to deliver on. And so the answer isn't just a better relationship. 
It's a greater revelation of God. <clears throat> Amen. A call to worship. And then she leaves and uh, she recruits the whole town to come out and meet the one. Worship. When we worship in spirit and in truth, mission is just simply the logical outworking of that sort of adoration. When we get closer to the one, when we begin to experience that kind of fulfillment in God, it compels one to tell a few people about this, this greater one, this wonderful God, the one that I met who saw me for who I was, all my junk, all my hurt, all my rejection, and say, the Father's been looking for you. The Father wants you. The Father's been seeking you. The Father's inviting you home. You've got to tell someone about that God. You've got to tell the town about that God. Worship always overflows into mission. And so she does. She runs to the uh, village. Apparently she tells the whole town, you've got to come meet. And they all came out to see this Jesus for themselves. Come, see, experience. And then, of course, his disciples show up and the drama ensues. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but there's a, there's a very clear pattern throughout the Gospel of John. We'll see it over and over and over. There'll be some sort of a miracle some incredible, in this case, it was just Jesus reading this woman's mail in like the best possible way. And, and then there's some controversy that immediately breaks out after that. And it sort of builds and builds and builds and builds until finally we get to the seventh sort of sign, that is the resurrection of Lazarus. And then everyone freaks out and they want to kill him. The controversy becomes so intense that they literally decide at that point Jesus has got to go. So that's the pattern. You can look for it as we continue. What do you think? Does this mean something to you? Does this challenge you? What well have you been going to? Do you believe that Jesus is greater? Is he perhaps calling you to like, like give up something? Maybe you, like so many of us, like virtually all of us, have been looking for fulfillment in another human, and we think, man, if I can just find that relationship, if I can just experience that romantic love, then that will be the thing that finally fills the gap. And Jesus says, I offer you something greater. Come and worship. Come and know the only one who can give you the affection you're truly looking for. Maybe you're at that point in the conversation where you're still um, in like defensive mode. It's very hard for you to surrender because you have been hurt before. You've heard these sorts of sermons before. You've tried it before. And maybe, maybe you thought you were signing up for living water and then Jesus starts to like mess with your stuff, asking you all these deeply personal questions. And, and perhaps in that moment, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Like I, that's, that's not... It's not what I was asking for. It's not what I wanted. 
These stories are meant to, to kind of draw us in. Maybe you're the woman at the well. Maybe you're one of the women in the village who's like uh, uh, ostracized the woman herself. Maybe you're one of the disciples who are about to come back and be like, hey, what's going on here? Who's this woman that you're talking to? Do you identify with the story? And are you ready to respond? Are you ready to worship? Are you ready to surrender even more of yourself? Perhaps it's been a while since you've gone to the deeper well that Jesus uh, invites us to. Man, you, you go out of here, and I'm not immune by any, I might be preaching, but let me tell you something. Like, I know the temptation uh, to go back to the old well. You know that old well, Jacob's well. And yeah, it's hot, and it's hard, and it's arduous, and it gets old, but it's, you know, it's called relapse. It's what we do. We go back to that old sin, that old thing, that old addiction, that old relationship, that old mindset. And then occasionally, Jesus will show up at that old well and say, hey, what's going on? What are you doing back here? What brings you? I can offer you something better. Will you allow me? Will you surrender yourself to me again? Come and worship. Can we stand together, please? Here's the really good news. Anyone who comes to Jesus and says, I'm thirsty, I'm tired of showing up at the same old well in the middle of the afternoon. Is there room for me? Is there grace for me? And we can easily begin to disqualify ourselves and think like, ah, no, like, yes, of course, in theory, I get what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying, but deep, deep down, there's something in my soul that says, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. The good news is you're 100% wrong. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus gave his life. For people just like you, for people like me, who's tried over and over and over again to fill the gap, only to realize I need someone greater. I need a God who's much bigger than the one I can create in my mind. <clears throat> and Jesus says, come. If you're thirsty, come. There's room for you, more than enough. Trust me, surrender. And I'll give you what you're looking for. Let's worship this great king, this great God.